15 today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we are glad that you're here. On behalf of the Summit Church family, we want to welcome you. We also like everyone who comes here to know that in our journey, we are taking the Scripture one book at a time, uh, studying it verse by verse, believing that God can reveal His truth to us if we'll be faithful to Him in this way. So we're picking it up, Luke chapter 16 this morning. Is this a parable this morning? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, typically, Jesus tells us when He's teaching a parable. He's going to give us two parables. In fact, I'm going to break it up. We're going to do one this week and then one next week. Um, the second one, you definitely have to read that and think it's a parable. But this one has the possibility of actually being a story that the people are familiar with, that Jesus is relating in order to teach truth. Uh, I'm thinking it's a parable, but we're not totally sure on that one. Verse 1, chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. So he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their kind then are the people of the light. And then he gives us the meaning of this story he's just related when he says this. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Well, there was a statement that just came to mind. I don't know. The Lord gave it to me. It must have been Wednesday that just sums up this teaching perfectly. And I hope that you see it. I hope you don't miss it with everything else. But it simply goes, you can't change your past, so prepare for your future. Maybe you should say that with me. Let me say it again. You can't change your past, so prepare for your future. Okay, you got to say it now. You can't change your past, so prepare for your future. This is a teaching on stewardship. And Webster defines stewardship this way. It's the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Now, what we need to notice here is that the stuff that the steward is responsible for and the stuff that he's wasting doesn't belong to himself. It belongs to his master. The stuff that he's wasting is not his own. It belongs to his master. And what Jesus is teaching us is a lesson in relation to what is God's and what is mine and our responsibility to be stewards of that. In fact, if you go over to Psalm 24, verse 1, 
Would you read this verse with me? Let's read it together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So what we see by way of application right away here is that everything we have, including our very beings, belong to God. Do you see that there in the Psalms? I'm not making this up. I mean, there it is in Scripture in black and white. He is the owner. We are His stewards. He has trusted us with the privilege and the responsibility of overseeing and enjoying what is His. But if I read this lesson correctly, we stand before God being accused of having wasted His stuff. The word waste is actually the same word that we saw last week in the parable of the prodigal son. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to that online. But it it really translates to be recklessly extravagant. That we stand before God having been recklessly extravagant with His stuff. Eventually, we're going to stand before God and give an account and we have to say, "Uh uh-oh, we are in deep trouble because we're guilty. And I think we'll see that as this plays out. So as I said, the the point of this lesson that Jesus is teaching, whether it's a parable or an actual event that people had seen, is summed up, verse 9, use our worldly wealth to gain friends so that when it is gone, we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So the litmus test for determining whether we're wasting God's stuff or whether we're using it wisely boils down to whether we are only using it for temporal purposes which means to build our own personal kingdoms, or whether we're using it for eternal purposes, for God's glory, investing in those things that are eternal. That is the test from the way I understand this. Bottom line, that's what it's all about. So if you want more from your faith than what the 85% of Americans who are claiming to be Christian are experiencing, then a couple of things right off. Everything you have belongs to God. You are simply a steward. And then the second one, to build upon that by way of application, asking the question, how am I using God's stuff for eternal purposes? Or am I being recklessly extravagant? (laughs) You can't do anything about your past, so invest in your future. Wouldn't you know it, last night, uh, we're, we're doing some cleaning up around. Actually, Valerie's doing a lot of cleaning around. And uh, once in a while, I get an order of <laughs> how it could be of some help, uh, as if I couldn't see it naturally. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, in the midst of it, we found the 1977 Tucson Badgers yearbook of Michael DeScoli in his senior year. And all I can say is, you can't do anything to change your path, but you can certainly, <laughs> you can certainly prepare for your future. And we'll all stand before God to give an account of what we've done with this stuff. I'd like us to read together 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I think we have that. Read it with me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, 
whether good or bad. So we have the steward in our parable. He's been entrusted with his, his master's stuff. He's been recklessly extravagant with it. Uh, he's having to give an account according to verse 3. That meant that he would soon be losing his job. He, he comes up with these statements, I'm too proud to beg. I'm too weak to dig. I think in Estes Park that would be the same as I'm too weak to wait tables and I'm too proud to sell t-shirts and ice cream cones. Something like this. So he gets this idea and he begins to cut these guys a deal. He says to the first one who owed a thousand gallons of olive oil, just cut his bill right in half. Second guy who owed 800 bushels of wheat, cut it by 20%. Probably understanding the culture of the day, a manager like this, uh, would have got his profits from what he was able to collect. So he probably had tagged on interest, and the deal he's offering these guys is void of his share of his profit because he's trying to set himself up with some friends who will owe him favors and take care of them. He can't change his past, so he must prepare for his future. He's making friends. He's giving them a generous opportunity. He's, he's only putting one stipulation on that, and that, that is they must respond Quickly, they're, they're all too eager to, to oblige him because they love the discount that's going on here. And then what's fascinating is even the master compliments him on his actions. Verse 8 again, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So don't get confused. He's not being commended because he'd been dishonest, but what he's commended for is shrewdness. He's commended for acting in wisdom. So if the, if the, the master here represents the Lord, then we have to, have to ask the question, why would the Lord commend such an action as what's taken place here? Well, again, you have to go to verse 9 and you have to see it loud and clear. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Wow. He had, done, he had wasted stuff, but now he's coming to the realization, I can't do anything to change the past. What I've done in the past is there, but I can now prepare for my future. In fact, right here, I just want to point out three admonitions quickly that Jesus gives in this context. The first one, obviously, is verse 9. We've seen it. Uh, prepare to be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Okay? Send something ahead. Like the old story of the guy who came to heaven and saw all these incredible mansions, but he was given a shack. And when he asked about his shack, the Lord said, well, I could only work with that which you sent ahead. <laughs> so <laughs> send something ahead here, right? And, and by the way, we don't talk about money in this church at all unless it comes up in the scriptures, okay? And so this is not, you can't say that I'm after your money, okay? This is between you and God. Uh, the church is blessed, okay? If anything, you need to learn to practice giving to God's work. Uh, the church doesn't need your money as much as you need to learn to give in faith to, to, to God and so forth. But there's a greater lesson here than money. Money's a very real part of it because it's an indicator. But don't miss the greater message because you're frustrated with money. And if you do get frustrated there, you're going to see in a moment that you're placing yourself on the same level as Pharisees. And friends, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be afraid of what it is God wants you to know. Okay, so then the second thing, use material wealth well. And look at this. This is starting at verse 10. We haven't gotten there yet. 
but it's part of our reading today. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Well, God wants to increase you, but it's rooted to what you're doing with what you have right now. Who will trust you with true riches, eternal riches? Verse 12, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So the stuff that you have right now is given to you by God as a test. And the test is determined is to determine, can you be trusted with eternal riches? And the answer is found in what you're doing with the temporal, measly stuff that you have right now. Am I using what I have now to build my personal kingdom, to establish that which is going to go away anyway? There's no uh, U-Hauls behind a hearse. It's all going to go away. Are you being faithful with that? And that's why the title this morning, The Significant Small Things... I own nothing. Everything I have belongs to God. I am His steward. He has entrusted me. He's allowed me the privilege and responsibility of enjoying and overseeing His stuff. But how am I doing doing with it? Am I using it for eternal purposes? Am I using it for His glory or something less? Good questions from the Word of God. The third admonition, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He will, he will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So not only are your circumstances a test from God, but now your money is a test. Money in and of itself is, is neutral. I, I kind of pictured it like a tool sitting on a workbench. I love tools. I love garage sales that have good tools at them. I love good... Fi- Man, yesterday I was helping Valerie, you know, clean out, and I got the coolest DeWalt cordless uh, reciprocating saw. I've always wanted something like that, you know? And it didn't have a battery. Well, I have a DeWalt drill, and my 18-volt battery works perfect in that reciprocating. I love good tools. But a good tool... In the right hands can be used for amazing stuff, but a good tool in the hands of the wrong person can be used for some terrible stuff, but a good tool sitting on a workbench isn't good for anything. Now, I just saw a wife elbow her husband because maybe she wants that tool to get used. I don't know what it is. (laughs) But did you read this week, uh, there were two girls walking through an open field when they found $1,200 cash and they were commended because they quickly turned that cash into the police. Well, the police could tell that that cash was linked to a recent robbery. So they went and they searched the field. They found additional cash that had been out in the field. Plus, they found a handgun that was used in the attack. But that money sitting in the field is, is idle. It has no capacity in itself. Money in the right hands can be used for great stuff. Money in the wrong hands can be used for some terrible stuff. But money sitting in a field is basically worthless. So isn't it ironic that we can allow a neutral thing such as money to control us? I mean, somebody said money makes a... a, 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 a how's it go? Money makes a terrible master but it makes a pretty good slave. 
Okay, so it's about us controlling money. How could we ever allow the pursuit of money to trump our pursuit of God? When we get anxious about money and so forth. And does that say something about who it is that we serve? If money issues become the number one issue related to divorce, uh, how can we allow the pursuit of money to trump the relationships and the deepest vows that we've made to another? And does that say something about who I serve? Some questions to consider as to whether money is your master, just a few things. Are you buried in debt? Because when you get buried in debt, money's controlling your decisions and your actions. I even know churches that are being controlled by their mortgages right now. Okay? Uh, so there's one. Two, are, we, are you free to use what you have to invest in eternal things? If not, then you're not using it according to its purpose, according to what we're seeing here. Number three, is the answer to your current problems mostly rooted in the need for more money? Or is it in an understanding that God is your provider of all things? Is your pursuit of money harming your relationships right now? And if you answered yes to these questions, then honestly before God, consider if money is controlling you. Warren, a couple of quotes here that I really love this week. Warren Wiersbe. When money becomes our God, we will start wasting our lives instead of investing them, and we will one day find ourselves friendless as we enter the gates of glory. Hmm. This is the Wall Street Journal quote uh, from an issue. Money, an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and a universal provider for everything except happiness. Uh, This is Henry Fielding. Make money your God and it will plague you like the devil. But what's Jesus saying today? He's saying this, make money your servant and use today's opportunities as investments in tomorrow's dividends. I can't do anything to change my past, but I can certainly invest in my future. But it's not really and fully about money. Money is just an indicator. So back up just for a moment to verse 8, and there's just a few more things we need to pick out, and then we'll move ahead to, to a few other verses. Verse 8, partway through the verse. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, did you catch that? I mean, doesn't it sound to you as if Jesus is saying that the people of the world, in quotes, do some things better than the people of faith? And and might it be that Jesus is saying here that we have some things that we can learn from the people of the world? Uncomfortable with this? But honestly, maybe, is that what Jesus is saying? And could one of those things be on this matter of shrewdness, which is a word we're uncomfortable with anyway, which is about operating in wisdom, which maybe sounds a little bit like playing the deck to personal advantage? Could this be what Jesus is talking about right here? People of the world, they know how to make money, make friends. They know how to get ahead by being 
shrewd. And so what Jesus is challenging the church to is how much more would we be wise in how we use our lives to invest in those things that are eternal. And here is the crux of the matter. The people of the world are shrewd in operating towards things that they're one day going to have to let go of anyway. But you can be shrewd in those things that go on and on forever and that you never have to let go of. That's the challenge here. So, uh, the man in this parable has come to the end of his line. He makes this wise choice. What does he do? Now, here it is right here. Because we've been hearing a lot about money, and I know it's made some awkward. Oh, no, go to church and hear about, you know, the need to give. And miss the main point, putting ourselves in the category of Pharisees. And we'll see that in just a minute. Wow, I'm wound up. <sighs> you all okay? You look good. Feel good. I feel good. <laughs> like I knew that I would. What's the matter, Mark? I'm gone heathen now. <laughs> it's just who I am, man. I'm like a jukebox. You push the right button, you get the song. What can I say? <laughs> and I'm just going to be the way God made me. Have me as I am. So, he comes to the end of the line. And what does he do? Get this. He pardons. He forgives. And when we come to the end of our line, it's at that place that we must recognize how desperately we need pardoning. And because we desperately need pardoning, we need to make it our chief ambition to be sure that we're giving others what it is that we need most. The greatest treasure that we have as Christ followers is the capacity of not only understanding, but operating in the ministry of pardon. And and folks, this is cause for repentance right here because we're so quick to hold a debt against people. You know, the Lord's Prayer, uh, it doesn't just read, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That means forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so this is largely what this whole thing is about. But some, I'm afraid, hear the thing about money and they check out and miss the main point. Money's an indicator of a deeper thing that's going on here. And, and you all know one of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians 5. We've already looked at one verse there, but I want you to see these scriptures because it, it articulates the reason Jesus gave us this teaching. Look at this. Anyone who has been joined in Christ is a new being. The old is gone, the new has come. This is from Good News for Modern Man, the rejected version of all times. But I just think that, that he just does a great job with this. I, I just love it. You can't do anything about your past, so prepare for your future. Right? Verse 18. All this is done by God who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making all human beings his friends through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins and he has given us the message which tells how he can make them his friends. That is exactly what the teaching is about that we're seeing right here today. 
We have mismanaged God's stuff. We have to give an account. We can't do anything to change our past. Make sure we're preparing for our future. The way to do that is, is in discovering the great grace that the Master is extending to us and then out of that, being motivated to make sure we're extending the same grace to others. Wow. It's the Word of God. Okay, so I know this is corny and all this, and, but, you know, it's who I am. And you might know this. So we'll do it anyway. And I'm trusting the Lord because this stuff comes to my mind. And don't worry about me hitting the chords right and all that as much as how it's relevant to what God wants to do. Some of you know this. God forgave my sin. In Jesus' name, I've been born again. In Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name, I come to you to share His love as He told me to. That's it. That's the crux of this teaching today. And, and uh, if you don't get anything else here this morning, make sure you get that. You can't do anything about your past, so prepare for the future. What we do with what we have now impacts our future. This is a picture of a steward doing for others the very thing that he needed his master to do for him. At this moment, he needs grace. So all of a sudden, he's extending grace because it's preparing a path of security for him into his future. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men... Well, why don't we read it together? It's a good one to read together. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins your Father will not forgive your sins. And so right here, you know, I have a little bit of a problem because I know that there's going to be those who are going to determine that I've got to become a a greater forgiver. But what I'd rather have you do is I'd rather have you recognize that this just shows all the more how desperately you need a Savior. And you need someone to to empower you to become an instrument of of forgiveness. And I, I, listen, I'm, I'm in this too. And another one of my concerns is this modern legalism of getting 9,000 applications in church throughout the course of a year. So now you've got all these things you have to do to live right before God. And that's not what I want you to do. But, but only use the applications as they help you do the one application that this church is about. And what's that one application? All eyes on Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. We need Him to do it 
through us. It's about being empowered as forgivers. Now, we're going to go on because this all ties together and some of it makes more sense than others, but I want you to see that it definitely ties together. So verse 14, now here come the Pharisees. And this is why I said if you're like on edge because we're talking about money in church, then look at how you're on the same level as a Pharisee. Okay, verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is, what's that word? Detestable in God's sight. Now, Jesus never is winning friends with these religious moralists. They're not his biggest fans. But isn't it fascinating that the, the, the sinners are flocking to Jesus to hear this stuff? So that's a caution to us who pride ourselves in our faith. And we've got to keep humble and pliable. But this Greek word that's used here about them snaring means they literally were sticking their nose up in the air because they loved money. Besides, the only one who wasn't validating them was Jesus. All their constituents thought they were pretty good guys. Look at we've done really well at, at obeying all the rules of God. Validate us, Jesus. Just put your stamp of approval on us and stop causing trouble. And this is really a, a frustration in ministry because, and, and I don't want to deter anyone from coming to me because of how I might analyze the situation, but sometimes I have people who want to sit down with me not because they want truth, but because they want validation. They're feeling convicted for something they've done, but they don't want to know where they need to be corrected or where they need to steer. They, they just want to pat on the back and say, poor baby, I understand. It's all going to be okay. But that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to share truth and let God deal with it how He will. But you have to understand that the same truth I'm sharing with you He's convicting men. I am not your judge. You do not stand before me and give an account. My job isn't to make you feel better about yourself in your sin. My job is to get your eyes on Jesus who has the power to transform. And if there's some, uh, you know, a sense of, of conviction that happens, I can't apologize for that. So the application here is what's your attitude toward truth? Do you just want to pat on the back, poor baby? Or do you want to look in the mirror and see what God wants to do so that you can come and trust the Savior to empower you all the more to transfer you into His image? Now he goes on. He's still talking to these Pharisees. Okay, look at this. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Do you hear that? The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. They're pointing to something. The law and the prophets. But now something changed at John. Look what it is. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And then this crazy statement we'll get to. And everyone is forcing his way into it. Now hold on to that. We'll come back, okay? But here's the deal. The Pharisees are trying desperately to be validated for all the good things they're doing. But they're missing the point. The law wasn't given to justify yourself. The, the law was given to point you to the Savior. Okay, you want to see it? Look at it. Romans chapter 3. Favorite passage for many in this room. Look at it. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by his observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Why was the law given? To make us conscious of sin. Right? There it is. Black and white. Not what Mike DeScully says. What does the word say? 
Now here's the good news, the best part, going on, 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all misused God's stuff. We've wasted it, right? See it? And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the capacity to buy us back, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus did for us what the law could not. Wow, is that boring truth? Oh my goodness. Man, he builds up, makes the power play, and drops the ball. I'm just messing with you. I just, you know, I just really, Lord, how can I be just out of your way so that you can teach us what you want us to know? But this statement, the good news of the kingdom is being preached and everyone is forcing their way in. The Greek word there is agonazai, which is to, our English word agonize is, is where we get it. And you read that and you think, wow, <clears throat> you know, it sounds like a really good band is coming to town and everybody knows it's going to sell out so they're all clamoring to get in but that's not the way it's structured it's not the way it says it it looks that way but that's not what it's saying he's confronting the pharisees in fact the amplified gets it right listen to this the good news of the kingdom of god is being preached and everyone strives violently to go in or because he's speaking to the pharisees or would rather force their way in than to come in by God's way. Oh my goodness. I don't need Jesus. I'm a pretty good guy. And that's what the Pharisees want. They want Jesus to validate them. But Jesus is trying to get them to see so desperately what the sinners are seeing. Here I am. Hello. I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one the law's been pointing to. Right here. Can't you see me? Stop kicking the doors down in heaven. There's an easy way. Wow. Going on. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of the pen. That's the tiny mark. In the Hebrew, it's the yod. In the uh, Greek, it's the iota. It's the I. Equivalent to the I. It's a jot. It's a tittle. Smallest letter. Just a little stroke of the pen. There it is. He says, it will not dis- disappear. It will not drop out of the law. And then he gives us this example that some people just see this and miss the whole point. It's an example of how we've misused God's stuff. And this is in the day of Jesus. It's not just today. The devil wants us to think it's just today and it's just you. But what's an example? Look at it. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And you say, oh my goodness, who can live up to it? Nobody. Because if you could, Jesus would have never have died on the cross. And this is just another example of how we wasted God's stuff. And that's the reason it's stuck in there like it is. We can't do anything to change our past. So let's prepare for our future. How do we do that? Extend to others the same kind of grace that we so desperately need from our Heavenly Father. That's what this passage is about, and that is the Word of God. So, 
Just take a moment between you and God and let Him speak in your life. If you need to make notes, what He wants you to know, what He wants you to do, then this is, this is you and the Holy Spirit now.